thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, helping you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome to today's podcast. So today, we thought that we would follow on from the podcast that we did last week, where we spoke a lot about... um, emotional eating and what triggers an emotional eater and we also shared our own personal stories. Today Cindy, myself and Kim have all been doing some research around the addiction of eating and it's just you know it's an amazing addiction this food thing because it's the only addiction we actually have to have for survival. You know we have to be addicted to food in order to survive but what happens when that goes awry? What happens when the addiction becomes out of control. What happens when a person um, thinks that they're just eating for the sake of eating, but they're eating because they're addicted to sugar or they're addicted to wheat or they're addicted to certain types of foods? Or the part that I'm going to explore, obviously straight down the rabbit hole, (laughs) is what happens when the addiction is, is, is actually the addiction to the emotion that then creates a payoff that creates more emotion and what I mean by that is I look at myself I say that I'm fat it creates an emotional response which then makes me go and eat but then the payoff is I don't have to be responsible for my eating or being healthy because look at me I'm fat let me just go and eat some more so it becomes a circular addiction where the problem isn't so much the food the problem is the emotion and then our addiction to that emotion gives us a payoff that's kind of yuck. So I think today's podcast is going to be quite inspiring. It's going to be quite, um, yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. And I'm interested to hear or to see what we all think about all of that because addiction is such a, it's such a strong word. And as I was doing the research for addict, through, with addiction through Pam um, Pete, uh, one of the, the, the women who's um, been interviewed on the psychology of eating um, conference, a virtual conference, I saw so much of myself in so much of her writings, because obviously I downloaded the book and devoured the book and listened to the podcast, listened to everything. You know, I'd actually like to tell the listeners what it's like. (laughs) I'd really like them to understand what it's like. So I I actually listened to Pam and um, I rang Karen, very excited. (laughs) Yesterday, was it not? <laughs> yes, not Very was. excited yesterday morning. I went, oh, you've got to listen to this girl. She's, she just has passion and excitement and she's really interesting on addiction, food addiction. She's just got some great ideas. <laughs> so in 24 hours, Karen has listened to the audio, downloaded the book, read the book. Uh-huh. Um, rewritten a new one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, close. <laughs> Come up with a new name for a new product. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. New, new workshop, new retreat. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, Every, new workshop, done. definitely. Mm. Yes, new workshop. Want to see the run sheet? Mm-hmm. Run sheet. But it was. I just. I. I love it because I walked in at six thirty this morning, and um, 
And we ha- we had a lovely conversation because um, Miss Kim. Oh, shut up! We don't have to go. There. Oh, yes, <laughs> we do. No, we do. Oh, yes, we, we do. Don't, don't need to know. No, yes, we do. We do. So you, we we're going. <laughs> yes, it's it's quarter to seven. It's not like Kim to not tell us that she's running late because she normally, was running late. Because well, normally she's late, and normally yeah. we get a text message. At least a text. Yeah, she says I'm running late. I'll I'll be there in fifteen minutes. Like, that's the regular. That's that's what we're used to. That is regular. <laughs> so we ring her, then we ring the home, and then we finally ring her husband. You know, we like we know how to track her down. We know how to track her down. So then we ring her husband, and her husband's like, <gasps> I'm serious, he's breathing deep. He was, and I actually thought something else was going on, quite frankly. <laughs> Given that she is the tart amongst us. She says, he wouldn't have answered the phone. I am chasing my wife. I went... Well, I don't need to know that. <laughs> I said, well, run her down and tell her that she is late for the podcasting. <laughs> she was running her little heart out. I was, and I went running past them going, can't stop, can't talk, I'm on a mission, I'm going to break 30 minutes, got to keep going. And I kept going, then I heard his phone ring, I went, what nutters speak to people on the phone in the morning? And I hear him going, Cam, and I'm thinking, I'll just ignore that one. He goes, Cam, and I thought, I'm so not answering, I'm running. And then he goes, podcast, and I went, <gasps> what? <laughs> So, yeah, I'm here, sweetie, covered in sweat, but I'm here. I'm here. So, yes, back to addiction. And uh, I, yes, back to addiction. No, no, I would like to get back to the thing with, uh, I had an interesting conversation with my mother-in-law yesterday because after our podcast last week, had a lot of long conversation with her around this. Oh. Yeah, it was really interesting, actually, because she's put on a lot of weight and... And what was and she's an intelligent, smart woman. And also very disciplined. Like she mm. does Ramadan and she can fast and so she's quite disciplined. What was interesting with her story, and I'd be interested on both of your accounts here, um, about 10 years ago <clears throat> she was told um, through, you know, there was a bit of stress going on in her life and she was told by the doctor, oh, your blood pressure's high, you need to go on these blood pressure tablets. So she went on these blood pressure tablets then she was getting checked for the blood pressure and she was told that her thyroid wasn't right because she had um, gained a bit of weight or, you know, things were happening. She got put onto these thyroid tablets, which then she lost quite a lot of weight. And she even said, I felt guilty for losing the weight because it wasn't like I was working hard for it. It was the fact that the thyroid tablets were set at a very high metabolism. Is that an interesting conversation? Uh, that is a very interesting. So she said, I didn't feel like I'd earned the right to have lost that weight. And the doctor said, look, I think they're too high. In fact, um, uh, models take this tablet as a form of, I guess, speed to help speed up their metabolism to lose weight. So she was put on a stronger one, and as a consequence, she's put on weight. And then I just sat there and I listened to her and I said to her, do you think if, if it would have been, what would you have thought if the doctor had said to you, let's look at your diet? Like, am I fair in saying that we go to the doctor because we think they're going to give us a tablet to fix it rather than looking at what it is we're doing you know like for me it's like and we as human beings expect someone to give us a pill to fix it so my question to both of you and amongst all of this is when we do go to the doctor if we think that that's the first port of call it sounds like to me most people will say you've got a thyroid problem or we need to look at blood pressure or whatever it is and that's a drug medicated thing then if we put on the weight we use that as the excuse or the reason why we've put on the weight and not once do i hear people say in conversation what could i do to change this like she hasn't stopped eating the way she's eating she still she eats a lot of bread she does like her sugar she's not exercising very much so when I, if I change, I said to her, if I change those three things, I reckon you'd actually probably drop the weight. You might have to, go, you could go off your blood pressure tablets eventually, and you probably wouldn't need your thyroid tablets. But then, if she's addicted to sugar, then we have a real issue. 
that you know that I as soon as you you said you know she loves her sugar, um, and you went through those steps and and as soon as I, I hear sugar, it is an addiction um, that people have to that sugar and yes it is about people turning it around but if they're addicted to something it's like telling someone to go off cocaine or to go off drugs it's really hard for them to do because they're so used to that. Um, well, the, well, there's neurons that actually have... Um, the neurological pathways have yeah. been set. I think that's the distinction that we've discovered with the, the research that we've been doing of late, is that it's not so much anymore. Once, once, it, once we start to look at the addiction of food or anything really, it's not so much around responsibility anymore. Certainly the person is the centre of the universe and they are certainly the, the person who's going to be the responsible one. But their ability to turn it around is hindered Mm. and it's even more challenging because of the way that the neurological patterning and behavioural patterns have been laid down. And depending on how long that addiction has been in place, that neurological pattern, uh, it's like, it's it's not just even about the neurological patterning, it's it's about the neurological receptors becoming so numbed to that particular substance, being it sugar or being it cocaine, the receptors in the brain have become so numbed and destroyed by the constant barrage of that substance that then the brain goes in constant search of getting more of those... uh, It's dopamine, isn't it? Mm. Or dopamine. The brain goes in constant search of that feel-good experience but the receptors have been numbed and the receptors have been dulled. So the brain's in constant search of more and more and more and more and more because the receptors that would normally pick it up have been destroyed. Yeah, so, so they're always looking for a better and a, bigger, a bigger fix. fix. And you know what's interesting is that um, let's, let's just take your, your mother-in-law, and, and we can take everybody actually, is that probably up until 100 years ago, maybe even less, we had to actually do things for our survival. We had to eat certain foods in order to survive. We had to move. We had to sleep, you know, because there was no light bulbs. It was 120 years ago that the light bulb came up. So there were certain things that we did for our survival. We couldn't decide whether to do them or not. But these days, in order for us to survive, we can sit on our butts in front of the television with the phone next to us and the internet. We can order takeout we can, we can do all these things. We don't have to go and chase an animal or, you know, do the fields or anything like that. And as a result, the food industry has stepped in beautifully and then created these foods that do cause these addictions. Mm. And if we choose to, to go along with it, and these guys know what they're doing. They're not stupid. Oh, it's marketing. It, it's all it, about getting know, their products out there and people... I was reading something that said um, addiction is the grandest form of marketing. Yes. When you can have a when you when your your customer base is a um, is a base is, is, is a bunch of addicts, mm-hmm. your business is assured. Yep. <laughs> that's sickening. But and that's what they do to children's food. They, they like salt and sugar is the biggest addiction. Well, salt, salt, sugar, and fat. Are the, are the like well not bad not uh, good fats but the bad fats mm. they're the greatest addictions and kids are spending fifty three hours a week on average now in front of some kind of screen fifty three hours a week that's more than that's longer than most people go to work actually let let's talk about the the whole isn't that scary it, it is very scary and let's talk about this the whole screen thing and 
um, I really loved um, the fact um, how Pam put this with regards to, and come in any time, Karen, if I've missed it, because you've read the book too. <laughs> and and reread <laughs> and, <laughs> and probably taken notes. Uh, but I just loved the way she... <laughs> I just loved the way she actually said that when you're addicted to drugs... Um, actually, before I go to her, let's talk about addiction to drugs. Because if a lot of our children are being put on mind-altering drugs at a very young age, five years old and six years old, and these are drugs like Ritalin and Dexamphetamine and for ADD and ADHD. So they're being put on these. And we now know that these drugs, um, if they're put on them at a young age and they stay on them, then the fact that they will go to illicit drugs is far greater than somebody who hasn't. So... You know, we've got um, generations, you know, being brought up like this. So they're addicted to the drugs, but then they're taking the salt and the sugar because they've got the munchies as well because that's just what that ha- that's what happens. So then they become addicted to the salt and sugar and their whole life spirals out of control because the salt and the sugar have the colours and everything like that with it, which give them hyperactivity, and then they take the drug and then by the time they're 16, they're looking for harder drugs in every way, in food as in drugs. So I love the way she says, look, if someone has a cocaine addiction, they have to go off cocaine. Forever. Forever. Forever Mm -hmm. is right. And when they go off cocaine, there's not a reminder when they turn the radio on or the television on that, oh, you know, you can just go down to McDonald's and you can get your hamburger with your sugar fix, which is your, you know, Pepsi will supersize or whatever. There's not, it's not sitting in your pantry, the cocaine. Once you get rid of cocaine out of your house, it's out of the pantry. Yeah. It's not on the television set. It's, it's nowhere. So you're not tempted every second of the day in radio, inter- in, radio in television, in, in your screens. You know, you're on the side of your screen when you're, you're doing mm. um, a social media. Mm-hmm. There's these things that the, the brain is picking up and, you know, we know that we only focus in what we want, but the brain's picking it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this constant barrage all the time at you. Mm. And so I, I just love the way she said that. And then she said, then you can't just have a little bit of breakfast, lunch and dinner. You know, oh, I just had a little bit. You cannot do it. You have to completely get off it. And then you can't say, oh, well, I've done that for three weeks. Let's go back to cocaine. No, it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. I do love think that. we're all addicted to sugar in some way. We actually have it for survival. Remember I said to you in the beginning, we, we have to have things for survival. And we have this thing called a bliss point. And this bliss point is to tell us when the fruit is at the exact sweetness in order for it to be at the best of nutrition. So if you pick an apple before it's ripe, it will be very bitter and you probably won't eat it. But when you pick an apple at its absolute ripeness, and that was our cue, the apples are ripe or the blueberries are ripe or that, you know, when you eat a blueberry that's not, not yeah. right, it's, it's horrible or a mulberry. But the minute you eat that mulberry that is at that exact sweetness, you just want to eat and eat and eat, and eat them. Because we needed that for our survival in the summer because it was high in sugar, it would put fat on us to enable us to survive the winter. So we actually have um, a bliss point, and, and manufacturers know that bliss point, and they don't go over it and they don't go under it. They have to go just right for us to know that that is the food for our survival. Interesting. Same with salt. We used to have the salt content in our grains so that when they were ready and our grasses were ready and we used to grind them and make, um, first of all, porridges and then breads, we had to have the bliss point for that salt. Have you noticed that our grains, you have to put salt in your grains now mm-hmm. because 
our land is lacking in salt. Therefore, the grains don't have that salt. So we have to add the salt to make it right for our bliss point, for our knowledge to know that it's our survival because that's when the nutrition is the greatest. Mm. And then in the summer, we would eat lots of fat. So we would eat copious amounts of fat um, because the animals had lots of fat and that was our survival again. So we actually, it is for our survival for us to do this. But what's gone, what's happened is that we don't have to do things for our survival anymore. We could, the, you know, basically the food manufacturers make the white sugar and the white salt and the addictive products that we don't realise is doing to us. And then from the day we're born, if we don't have breast milk, we have formula that has just the right amount of sugar in it that then gets us into the addiction of Farrax and all those things that then we just keep, we stay addicted. Mm. And then I feel sorry for these, like I had this beautiful woman. It was just so sad. She came up to me. She was quite a large woman. And she started crying. She says, I've tried everything. Mm. But my husband and I, we sabotage each other all the time. We just can't stand it any longer and we go and eat something. And it's, it's sugar laden and, or it's pizza or it's something and then we feel better. And then we go, oh, well, we've done that. Let's just do it again. Mm. I just, just felt so sorry for her because you know what? It's not about, it's like I don't want to take responsibility away from the, the person because you're putting it in your mouth. Mm. But everybody who's had an addiction, and if it's drug or alcohol, they'll understand, or cigarettes, to get off that addiction is so hard. Mm. And in, in order to do it, you have to get it out of your life completely. You cannot leave it in your life. And then you cannot have just a little bit, mm. you know, for so breakfast, lunch, Because once, you're saying, once that's done, you couldn't have fruit. You couldn't have that. Is that what no? You're because it's a to? different kind of addiction, yeah. isn't it? It's, a, it's it's an addiction. It's a, it's a chemical addiction as well, isn't it? Mm. The, the, the the fruit to me, you can eat the fruit. Let, let's just say that you have had a, a lifetime of where you've just eaten really badly, and you have an addiction to sugar. I actually believe that you have to narrow down your fruit and only have fruits that don't give you that rush. And they would be fruits that are very lower in sugar, like apples. You know, um, don't eat the really sweet fruits such as mangoes. Yeah, mm. I'm, in the beginning. But, Kim, you can because you don't have that. <laughs> yeah, you don't have that addiction. But the people who have got no, that... No, I'm just wondering if I do have an addiction. I love something sweet after a meal, whether it's fruit or... Or um, dates, or like. But is that a habit or an addiction? I don't know. Could you stop yourself? I, yeah, I could. Yeah, I could. I don't want to, but I could. But then I think, at the moment, maybe I, what I like to do to myself is every now and again do a protocol or a program where mm-hmm. I do drop it because it just gets me out of the habit of feeling like I need it. You break the pattern. Yeah, break I the think. Pattern. That's actually a really good point. Let's distinguish what the addiction actually is so a person knows, that our listeners actually know. What is the distinction between somebody who's addicted versus somebody who just loves it or or wants it or who can break the pattern easily? And a person who's an addicted person when it comes to food or anything, therefore, is a person who will sacrifice other things in their life in order to meet that fix. So somebody who's an addicted person to chocolate or to sugars... Um, will sacrifice, they will sacrifice their health, they will sacrifice their nutrition and they will do it knowingly in order to get their fix. They will spend all day thinking about their food until they actually get the fix. When they open their eyes, food's the first thing that they think about. They don't think about 
getting up and showering or what the day is going to hold, the first thing they think about is the food. And then once they've had the food, once they've had the breakfast, then the next thing on their mind is what's for lunch. So the addicted person is the person who's spending the whole time thinking about or their whole time thinking about their food. And they get incredibly irritable if somebody tries to withhold their food from them. So when they go on diets, and this is this has been so amazing for me because it's just it's I'm recording my full journey right now because this is like such an eye opener for me. But if if a diet or somebody tries to withhold food, so say you you know the diet says you can't have. Um, cupcakes. Well, you know what? <laughs> cupcakes is the only thing that the person's going to be thinking about. And then fury and anger and, and, and all other sorts of negative, destructive emotions come up over the fact that they can't have the cupcake. And then when they go and get the cupcake, because they will not be told no, they go and get the cupcake. Yes, the fix is, is achieved, but now they're in search of, a, of, a, of more of that same fix again. So the uh, the diet saying, okay, now you've had the cupcake, get back on the bandwagon, get back on it, you're on Weight Watchers, get back on it, get back on it, you can do it, you can do it. But now they're not looking for a cupcake, now they're actually looking for a family-sized block of chocolate because the cupcake was the taster. So now that they know that they've done the cupcake and they can get back on the diet for a day, now it's going to get a family-sized block of chocolate and we'll have that tomorrow and then they'll get back on the diet after that and then now it's now it's looking for something more. Mm. So the the addictive personality or the addicted person is the person who is thinking about their way of getting their fix constantly. And sometimes to the extent that marriages suffer, relationships suffer, love suffers, peace suffers, harmony suffers, cleanliness, hygiene, um, health, nutrition, everything comes at the cost. So is that how you're addicted, Kimmy? No. <laughs> Just wondered. I was just thinking, wow, I'm glad you made that distinction. (laughs) But but what you've raised there is a really good point, though, because for the majority of people who are not in that extreme case of addiction, but for the majority of people, there's a mild addiction that exists. And food is the addiction we have to have. So there is a mild addiction that exists. And by every now and then, a couple of times a year doing a protocol or doing something that actually breaks the, uh, the, the, the neurological pathways that have been laid down, something that interrupts those patterns is a really good idea because it just ensures that you never actually do get there, mm. you know? Yeah, because I can imagine getting very addicted to sugar. You know, like I made a beautiful, the kids, they, I had all these egg whites. Jacob was in the kitchen with me the other day and we made a big meringue um, with rapidur sugar. So it was beautiful, just egg white and rapidur sugar. It was all chewy and gooey in the middle. And then, oh, and then he says to me, <laughs> and then he says to me, could you make a lemon, a lemon butter to go with it? And I did, and I'd made a homemade ice cream. Like, talk about three massive sugar things, right? But we never, we never do this. We've got visitors at the moment, and it was just a treat. But, oh, my God, all three of us, particularly Danny didn't have it. See, Danny knows sugar is so not good for him. His body gives him an instant signal where he gets really windy, he gets really bloated, he feels sick, and we all suffer for the next 12 hours because of the wind that he has. <laughs> you all suffer. Socialised. He running, runs around farts everywhere, doesn't he? Does. He does. <laughs> they're not just, I mean, many of you will know that a sugar fart, God forbid, is, is a shocker. You know, it's really <laughs> strong and, and potent. Anybody that eats really bad fats oh, and yeah. bad sugars, or a lot of sugars, 
they end up fit that they smell and they and they sweat and they're poor like everything mm. so for him he just knows and he's he's lucky in a way that he has such a strong um, reaction that his body gets it but I'd imagine the more immune you get to it the more immune you get to those reactions thinking that that's just normal that's true yeah. so I that's where I kind of love the fact that my family thanks to you girls and particularly around the psychology of it you know for years I've told Danny don't eat sugar it's not good for you and sugar's in everything including beer and everything and bread and, everything and so for him to drop beer bread sugar you know, 15 years I've tried to tell him not to do that. And finally he does the HCG or the four-phase elimination protocol. And he hasn't eaten it since. But he's also got the psychology. So we all sat there last night with this dessert. I had a little bit. must admit it was actually really rich. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm ahead of you uh, yeah. as to what happens. But go on. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Kimmy. <laughs> Um, so I had a little bit and I tasted the ice cream and it was all beautiful, but my gosh, it was rich. Um, Danny didn't even touch it. He just went, I went, are you sure you don't want to try it? Like, you don't want to try my cookie? And all of a sudden I thought, look what I'm doing to him. <gasps> and uh, don't we all do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, do you yeah, not want to yeah, try yeah. Don't don't just we all do that? I said, just one mouthful? I mm. said that to him and he goes, nah, no, nah, no. He knows the minute he tastes that in his mouth, he'd want more. So I really admired him yeah, for that and that ability to actually go. And he looks so fit and trim at the moment. So and he seems really happy. happy. Yeah, yeah. Even I, Taylor said it the mm. other day. She goes, Mum, Dad's different. Yeah. I oh, said, what do you think? That awesome? And she goes, he's always got a smile on his face now. And, mm. he, and he's really proud of himself. Mm. And he's, he's happy. And See, he's recovered, isn't it? I think so. He's, a, he's a recovered... Well, he's, he's a, 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 addict. He's a, a recovered, recovered addict. addict. And it doesn't matter what that addiction is. Mm. Once they're a recovered addict... They have to be on their guard all the time. You can't just say, "Oh, I'll just have a little bit." No, no. you and and you can't. Yeah, and he anything. wouldn't have a. He didn't have a. I actually, or. I had the other scenario going that he had one bit and then he just wanted to keep going. No. but good on him because that's what happens: is you have one bit and you go, "Where's my next?" Mm. You know, I'll have another one. Like well, that's what said. happened yeah. to me though. To be honest, sitting there, I went. I had a couple of mouthfuls, and I thought oh, that ice cream is really nice, and I just dipped my spoon back in. And then I dipped my spoon back in. Three more mouthfuls I had yeah. to the point where I had to go, stop it. Stop mm. it. Back mm. away from the ice cream. Step <laughs> away. Step away. <laughs> so, but I think the thing for me, which I feel grateful for, thanks to the protocol and thanks to being aware of nutrition for so mm. long, I could see how addictive that would become. And I know in myself that I need to back away from it or don't have it in the house or, mm. or just don't eat it. And lucky for me, I can stop. But I can see how people don't. You know, a classic example, last year I did the four-phase fat elimination and I lost 14 kilos on it. And I went off all dairy, all wheat and all sugars. And I just didn't have it in the house. And I kept the weight off. I recall I kept the weight off for about five months. And I was really, really proud of myself. But then I thought, okay, well, now it's time for me to start to introduce a few bits and pieces. So I started with introducing a glass of wine. That was where it started because I went out and everybody was having a glass of wine. So I had a glass of wine. And then somebody brought out some Smith's crisps. So I ate a couple of chips. And I thought, oh, well, this is okay. I'm not feeling bloated by this. This is cool. And then the next day I had a bread roll with um, my salad or whatever on it. And I didn't feel anything. And so then I just became oblivious that that old friend or foe – of the, the addiction found its way straight back into my life again. And 
and it's 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 so it's so true it's so true and i'm even getting another aha moment right now it's so true you just cannot have it in the house you cannot have any of it and you know there's a saying all things in moderation and it's something that my mum says to me a lot because she sees that i go on these extreme diets and these extreme tests with myself to try and get my body right she said to me, you know, you've got to think about all things in moderation. Just have a little mm-hmm. bit of everything. But when you're an addict, you can't. It's like having, like you said, Cindy, it's mm-hmm. like having a little bit of cocaine here, a little bit of speed over there, and mm-hmm. just a little bit of crack over there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and hope the world doesn't fall apart. But it does. It, it, it does. does. And the scary part is this, is that, you know, when you're walking through even office works, there are lollies as you and biscuits as you walk through to pay so there's no cocaine there Mm. you know and i actually i actually find this really this was an aha moment for me is that when you go off cocaine you've got to go hunt for it you've got to find your your dealer whatever it is it's not every time you can't even walk into a office works which is not a food store and not see lollies and chocolates on the side mm. you know i walked in to pay petrol the other day and as i walked in the door there was a lineup there's probably five or six people and i was in the lineup and on either side of me there was candy and yeah, chips yeah. and everything and i'm thinking this gives somebody you know there's that stimulus and response yep, yep, yep. so the stimulus is oh i just feel like something you walk in and you see it you grab it you respond straight away they, they don't wait there's no the gap there's no gap and even if there is a gap how long did I wait before I paid for petrol? Five minutes probably. So I'm looking either side and I'm and my mind's going to my gosh, for somebody who is trying not to eat this stuff, it would be so tempting to just grab one of those just at the last minute. Mm. You noticed at the counter though, they'll say to you, Oh hey, we've got the deal here, yes. get three yeah, for yeah, one yeah, or three yeah. for two or whatever, and yeah. they actually they'll ask you at the counter, would you like to try and do the upsell? Yeah. Yeah, they try and do the upsell. Well there's a book that came out and I think it was earlier this year, um, and it, it's called Salt, Sugar and Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us. Wow. They actually know what they're doing. And I think if, if anybody's listening and they're addicted to this, um, actually, I'm, I'm just going to go a step to where we were all talking about the four-phase fat elimination protocol and how we went on it. And I remember when I went on it, you know, that's nearly two years ago now, I, when I went on it for the first time and started to understand how this worked, I remember thinking in the first three or four days, but I like that food. I want to eat that food. Mm. I want it. I want it. You know, I'm not going to go off it for the rest of my life. I want it. You know, I was like a crazy woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I got that aha moment four weeks later that it was it was grain that was my problem. Mm. Um, and with that grain came the sugar, of course. And they were my problem. And it's been, I, you just can't have it in the house. Mm. And I was addicted to the wheat grain, which we know has something called glutenomorphin in it, which crosses the blood brain mar- barrier, goes into... Um, the brain and sits on, the, on our morphine um, or our pain receptors, which is like morphine. Mm. And as a result of that, 
you become addicted to it and you want you want your fix every mm. couple of hours. You need that fix or you need the munchies. You and have the munchies. That's why emotional eaters go for starchy grain mm-hmm. foods because mm-hmm. it numbs the pain. It does. And because it, it, it's, it's just, it's just it saying here that, that glucose is particularly important to the brain as it provides the only source of fuel to 100 billion nerve cells called neurons. Neurons need a constant supply from the bloodstream as they don't have the ability to store glucose themselves. So are we constantly... So glucose... So there's different types of sugar. Can you just explain... Like, like I know there's glucose, fructose, lactose, and all that sort of thing, but what, what, how, how... If the brain and the neurons need glucose, a form of sugar, and yet sugar's an addiction, how do we dissociate what is good sugar and what <laughs> is not good sugar? Yeah, well, let's, I always go back to the way we were because the way we are right now is very, like I said, we don't have to rely on us doing stuff to survive. We can have somebody else do all that for us. So I go back and I, and I look at um, the foods we used to eat. And, you know, we did eat fruit. We ate a lot of fruit in the summer. It was also available in the winter. Um, and so the types of sugars that we, we needed well, what we used to believe we needed was just glucose. And from glucose, we could make all the other essential sugars that enabled all of our cells to communicate. But that was what we used to think. Now we realize that from glucose going to all those other sugars actually takes a lot of work for the body to do. So we should be consuming all these sugars. So mushroom actually has one of these sugars. Um, blueberries will have these sugars. And they're all different types. So they could be xylose, fructose, not fructose, but fructose, glucose, galactose. So there's all of these types of sugars. And there's three very complicated named sugars that I can't remember. And if we eat them in our foods and the body is able to use them for the communication and the brain is part of that communication, we didn't have white sugar. Mm. We didn't have glucose syrup that's made from wheat. And a lot of people look at glucose syrup and they go, well, that's good. So I was at um, the Real Food Festival yesterday and there was a guy there selling jams. And, of course, my father loves jams. And I'm with my dad and, and he's going, I want to get some jams, Cindy. And I went, well, let's have a look at them, you know. So he starts tasting them and I get the ingredients and I read them. And I went, sorry, Dad, can't have that. It's got glucose in it. Why do they not make it with just sugar? I have no idea. So I asked the guy. I, I said to the. I, I said to the. Oh, he heard me. That's right. The guy behind the counter heard me talking about it, and he said, "But there's no trace of gluten in the glucose." Because I said, "Well, I don't have a problem um, with glucose. What I have a problem with is how it's made, you know. And this one is made from wheat." And he said, "Well, we've we've done tests, and there's no trace of gluten." I said, "I, I don't. I don't care about the gluten. What I care about." is the ethics of the making glucose from wheat that could be genetically modified, and I want nothing to do with it. And I'm sure he kind of went, whoa, <laughs> she's a mad woman. We're going to widow, 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 I'll too. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so then my dad goes, well, which can I have? And I said, Dad, try the strawberry jam. Um, and then I read the ingredients, and it was sugar. It was real food, but not. it, it was a white sugar. Um, you know, it was, but it, I would rather have the white sugar for my dad. You know, he is 85 yeah. and then I'd rather have the glucose. So I actually went through all that thing. So we never, ever had sugar made from wheat. No, we didn't have that. Bizarre, isn't it? You just make sugar from sugar. Well, you would think, but it's 40% cheaper to make it from wheat than and it is from white sugar cane. It's, it's, the, it's a, it's a, how it's does a glucose then the way you're talking about it made from wheat? 
compared to high fructose corn syrup. Oh, to me, they're the same product. Same. It's all same thing. that's made from corn. You know, that's made from probably genetically modified corn. When you look in nature, fructose and glucose are never, ever by themselves, ever. They're always mixed with other things like vitamins and minerals and amino acids and fibers. And and usually sucrose is fructose and glucose. So if you have a look at the way glucose and fructose work with um, raising the blood sugar of the body, one raises it faster than the other. So glucose will raise it faster than fructose, believe it or not. Um, So one will come in behind the other. But then there's all these other things that are around it that allow it to go even in slower. But when you've just got straight glucose or straight fructose as a result of high fructose corn syrup or glucose syrup, which is made from wheat, then the body doesn't, it doesn't use it properly. Mm. Does it use it in the brain? Can the brain use it? You know, I, I don't, I haven't looked into that mechanism. But what I do know is that when we eat a food that is like a blueberry or a mushroom that has the specific sugar that we need in order for it to do the right things, then in my way of thinking, it, it's far better. Mm. Does that, you know, does that make sense as to, yeah, that yeah. makes sense? Great. Yeah. I just, I think it's confusing because for so many of us out there with the way they market things to us nowadays, mm. it's all about low sugar. You know, they know that sugar's a bad thing, but they're not talking about real sugar. They're talking about all this fake sugar, I guess, or sugar that's being separated out. Like, I really appreciate when you say... If, if you've read the book I Quit Sugar by Sarah Wilson, she actually gets you off all fruit as well in that eight-week protocol that she does. She still she, she then you know encourages you to eat fruit afterwards, but while you're on it, stay away from all sugar. You're not allowed anything, dates, nothing. And I looked at the whole protocol. I haven't done it exactly as she said, but I really could see why she takes people off everything in order, I guess it's a little bit about like the four-phase elimination, that mm. when you go off everything, then you slowly reintroduce it and see how your body reacts to it. Is that what you'd suggest to people if they know that they've got a sugar addiction? Oh, definitely. You know, I, I just believe in that. Um, and I like, like what Sarah's done is that she realises that we're addicts, you know, and oh. fruit is, oh. is very sweet. And when you have done the time in getting to a bad yeah. place, you have to do the time coming back. And so, yes, to go off all the sweets and and all the fruits and everything like that is a good thing. It's tough. It is tough. And I don't think she'd say that it isn't tough. It's like going off anything. It'll be a toughie. But if you're someone, you know, like... I won't look at you, Karen. But <laughs> no, you can. You're welcome to look at me because I'm a classic example but of it. But if you're like so. Kim and I, um, where our whole life has been really looking after our food and we're fuel eaters, to eat fruit to us, like I can give it or t- I can take it or leave it. I can, Sometimes I may not have fruit in a day because I haven't thought about it, but I'll have had a heap of green veggies and all I'm craving is is meat, sorry Karen, but all I'm craving is something savoury and something meaty and salty and so my my thing is that that I would rather choose that over sugar but I used to be the other way around. Yes. But it wasn't until I did the protocol that I realised that that was what my, my thing was and it was really based on wheat, not sugar. Right. Because I was always looking for bread or that type of fix, you know, and I loved the sweet rolls or something like that. Now I couldn't even touch them. I met a lady yesterday. I spoke yesterday at an event and she came up to me afterwards. She was just in a state. She was overweight and she just stood there and she goes, look, I've just loved everything you've said, 
And she was in a flap. She didn't know what she needed, where to start, how to get going with it or anything. And I said, well, just, and she goes, my, my, my eating. And I said, well, what do you eat? And she goes, well, I'm a shift worker. And I said, what does that mean? And, oh, that makes and it she so said, so hard. And she said, Kim, I have bread at every meal and every snack. I, I don't know, I don't know what to eat if I didn't have bread. And I thought, oh, wow. I, like I, I said, look, we don't have time here to talk about this, but I really recommended that she got hold of your book and that she went on to the four-phase fat elimination protocol. And then she was like, and you could see she was just like, a, a protocol? Like, like I just feel, and even my beautiful mother-in-law, it, she's, she's got your protocol, she's got the drops, she's going back to New Zealand. She goes, and she was literally saying, and these were her words, I've got to really psych myself up for this. I've, re- I've really got to be really psyched to be able to do this. And, and, and I need to make sure. And I said, you know what the key is? Is to, be, is to read it all, obviously, but to also then get organised and, and don't have any triggers in the house and, and really try to, to, to get yourself, yeah. But, but it was really interesting. I don't find I feel I get psyched up that much. It just it must be the fear of not having those yeah. foods or what's it going to do like what is our fear why do we have to get well, so it's the addiction right it, she is addicted to food and and looking at your your mother-in-law shows me that she is addicted to something yeah. um and and you actually see it in young girls um especially i've been seeing it in young girls if they're addicted to alcohol they become very puffy yes like really puffy and or sugar they become really puffy and, and you see it immediately so the reason they get psyched up is because they've got the addiction it's like a drug addict going off cocaine you know they'll go into a rehab center there's a lot of fear associated with it yeah and they'll go into a rehab center and they'll detox and that that that's why the protocol is three weeks and in actual fact i'm actually extending the the time that you're allowed to even eat it because we're going to change phase four it's already changed in the club where everybody goes we're actually changing phase four where you eat even in that in the big the first three weeks of phase four, you're not allowed any sugar. You're not allowed any grain. You're not allowed any carbs. We just increase the amount of fat that you're eating. We eat, increase your meats, your vegetables, and you're allowed a little bit more fruit. So we give pears as opposed to anything else. So uh, look, that psyching up is like any addict. It's like an addict um, that's going to give up gambling. They've got to psych themselves up and they'll go for one more, won't they? They'll go for one more gamble or one more bit of cocaine and then that's it. That's it. I'm finished. And people who eat do that too. You know, like you hear um, people say, um, oh, I'm, I'm going on a diet tomorrow. And you can see them just gulping everything down that they could possibly gulp down. And that's the problem with an addict who goes on any kind of diet is that they think, okay, so today I'm just going to eat as much as I possibly can of this particular type of food or I'm going to get my fix um, and then tomorrow, well, I'll start the next day. I've just got to get it. I've just got to get more of this in. Oh, okay, I'll start the next day. I've just got to get more and more of more food in. Karen, is the because fear is the is the fear <clears throat> never thinking they're going to have that food again? Well, it's not logical. So you know, any kind of addiction, there's no logic to it. So to try to make sense of it is is almost impossible. But yeah, it's almost as if this diet means I can never have that food again. Therefore, what's what what's the point of it? And life's worth living, and having cupcakes is what makes life worth living, and pizza makes life worth living, and being able to say yes to whatever I want is what makes life worth living. Because the person at that point doesn't understand the contrast between a green salad actually being better for them and making them feel better and all of that. They, they don't understand that. At this point, at the the addict, all they think about is you're about to take away my drug of choice, and 
I won't be told no. No one's going to take that away from me. Even if it's me telling me no, I won't be told, I won't be told no. So I might tell myself self no for three days or four days and think I'm doing a really good job, but then that addiction is going to rear its ugly head and it's going to say, you will not tell me no. And I'm looking at a piece of pizza and there's a part of me saying I'm on a diet and that's a whisper. That's a whisper to 30 years of programming that says you will not say no. You will have that pizza because that is now a life and death situation and it feels like that. It's so bizarre. There's no logic to it, but it's almost as if if I don't have the pizza, it's life and death. It's 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 such a it's such a significant hold that that patterning has on on the addict that to not do it is more painful than to do it and feel fat afterwards. Not doing it is more painful. Take into account now. Thinking from that angle, you've just hit a chord for me, and I don't know if any of you parents listening to this will feel the same, but I've just noticed a lot of parents, because they know that they shouldn't have it or they can't have it, how many of them allow their children to have it as a payoff. You know, they'll they'll be like... They'll um, live vicariously through, the, through the children. Or they'll think, well, I was never allowed it when I was young, so I'm not going to be like that. Or, or oh, look, it won't hurt. Or, um, And I think as parents, you know, it's a huge responsibility to actually live by example for our children so that they get to learn. And I think I said it in a podcast yeah, before, how Taylor found it really hard yeah. watching other parents that ate. She said, Mum, it was like watching them gorge, you know. And I was thinking, wow... And she said, but it's a parent's responsibility, Mum, not to do that to us kids. And I thought even her at 15 feeling that was quite an interesting... And we are. We are the role models. Yeah. It's interesting, Pam Pete, though, she's got a a slightly different take on it in her book um, where she says that if I... say, Let's use me as an example. So I'm the parent and I have been addicted to food genetically. The way that the food alters my genetic construction... I then pass that on to my children. So my children then have the same genetic predisposition to addiction. So the struggle then becomes my children's as well as mine. So then not only do they have it from a genetic perspective, but then they also have it from a witnessing perspective because they're seeing me incapable of being able to beat my addiction. Um, So they're learning that as a learned behaviour. But then they've also got the genetic predisposition to it based on the way that the... And they have a third one as well. And that's the imprint. So um, when you're pregnant and in that first six months of your baby's life, you're actually imprinting what that baby will know will make it survive for the rest of its life. So back evolutionary-wise, that was really important, that these were the foods that we ate, this is the imprint that I'm going to give you. So while you're breastfeeding your baby and all the foods that you are eating around that baby, including the people around you, imprints that baby for the rest of its life as to what food it needs to survive to eat. Wow. So you not Shut only got I know you not only got the epigenetic part of it, yeah. which is what we're talking about. We're also yeah. talking about imprinting. And we imprint all the time. Mm. Um, and, and then we're talking about then we give it the addiction by, you know, what we're doing. So the imprinting, people have to realize that during pregnancy in that first six months of life, what you're eating. So if you're eating McDonald's or takeaway foods or lean cuisine or these crap foods out there, that's what your child will 
instinctively want to go for because they know that that's their survival for for them to do. Think of an ape in the wild. They're going to be not only watching their parents, but in those first couple, three months where they're not really watching, but they're imprinting Mm. the survival techniques. It's interesting because... I we was, have a responsibility. I was so vigilant being pregnant. I was so vigilant. Read everything. Detox before we even conceived. Like we were very, both of us were very, very mm. aware and had done, at that point, the big thing was the liver cleansing diet with Sandra Cabot. So we'd done a whole lot of that, which was a great protocol for us at the time. Then when Taylor was born, now she was breastfed the whole time, but she developed constipation. And and I, and I took her to the doctor and he went, well, you must be feeding her formula. And I said, I swear to you, I'm not feeding her formula. And he said, well, you must be because this is typical of babies that are fed formula. And I went, I promise you, she's fully breastfed and I'm eating really well. My gut feeling as a mother, and it may have been totally wrong, was that I just felt she had her valve and, and her lower bowel just hadn't quite developed enough and it was just pooling and stooling down the bottom because it was always down in her lower left quadrant of the bowel and what helped it was me using oils and massaging her but the little girl was in so much pain as a baby to the point she was hospitalized twice for constipation where they gave her suppositories and and she even got anal fissures where it it was such a hard stool when it came out that it actually quietly tore and so the poor little part I I was beside myself do you know what they put her on and I can't believe I feel really bad about it but I was at a loss to watch my daughter who looked like she was giving birth and having contractions to where they put her onto a thing called lactulose, which was basically, I guess, a high fructose corn syrup. It was like a, a, folk, a fake sugar syrup. And they kept saying, she needs sugar. You've got to give her sugar because it'll loosen her bowels. So prune juice, um, lactulose, um, even brown sugar um, dissolved in warm water and just keep feeding her that, which is what I did. And I look at my daughter now who loves sugar, and I'm thinking, and all I know, that that set up an imprint. I don't know if that was an imprint, but that mm-hmm. certainly set up a behaviour for her that to have sugar loosen the bowels, which meant comfort. So I'm really working with her to understand that sugar is actually an enemy, not her friend. Mm-hmm. But if I'd known better back then, I would never have given her that lactulose or that brown sugar and syrup I would have stayed with what I thought which was the massage and the good high fiber foods and lots of water they never mentioned giving her lots of water I don't know I just feel a little bit but you did the best with the knowledge that you had I know but I just and now that you know better and and you can help your grandchildren you know Mm. that's the way I look at it and it's like people listening to our podcast you know, a lot of them will be probably thinking the same thing, if only, if only, if only. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you can't think that way. You have to go, well, that was something that, um, you know, happened. Um, now I know better. So Let so me my, do better. My question to you then would be, if we've done this or we've, we've done damage or we've done something... That was thunder. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we've done this stuff to ourselves, yeah. I want to ask you both, can we undo it? And can we ever get back to a place of, of real true health if we've put ourselves through something as, as strong as sugar addictions? Can we undo it and can we get ourselves back to a place of health? Well, in my, if, if I was to speak first, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. it. It's like an alcoholic 
can can they get off alcohol? Yes, we know people who have gotten off alcohol and we know people who have not had a, a drop in 25, 30, 40 years. You know, they, they call themselves recovering alcoholics for the rest of their life. Um, cigarettes, people get off cigarettes. So slowly but surely, people... We know people who have done this, so we know it can be done. But are we saying it's easy? No. You have to put the hard yards in, and you have to not have it in your life. You've got to get it out of your life, out of your pantry. Um, and and to say don't go to places that, that it's going to be is really hard. Don't go into an you know an alcohol store. That's easy. But to not go into a grocery store, into office works, or somewhere where or a dinner party or a dinner party or anywhere, it's really hard. So perhaps isolate yourself. Like if, if you're getting off. You know, we always hear about these actors and actresses that have to go to a rehab centre. So perhaps in that first three or four weeks when you're getting off it, that you do go into your own little rehab centre, that you stop watching the media and you start listening to these types of podcasts and you start reading books that can help you um, stay in the work. You know, Karen, we're always saying stay in the work. So, yes, I think it's, it is possible. It's about you making a commitment and that you not, um, you know, not saying or saying something like this oh I'll just have that little bit you know I deserve that you do not deserve it and you cannot just have that little bit because that will just set that pathway up and as Pam was saying you know when you've set up a neurological pathway when you've set those synapses up they're there for life but the new habits that you create will override that the minute though that you go back to your old habit it will come to the surface again you can't break them apparently, but you can make new habits to override them. And I thought that was really interesting. Oh, I saw Karen do a <laughs> squint there. Do you? What do you think? What are, you know, you're the the brain here on that one. But yeah. that's what she was saying. From mm. a neurological perspective, you can definitely interrupt a pattern. the the um, The way that uh, neurological networks work is that the stronger they wire, the longer they fire together, the longer they wire together. So what happens is you have um, it's like a it's like an interwoven web of neurological fibers that when uh, that, that come together, and for an addict, generally there's an emotional component to the to the eating. So for an addict, I might feel an emotion of fear, or I might feel an emotion of of nervousness, or I might feel an emotion of sadness, or happiness, or reward. I, you know, I used to go and get myself a peppermint crisp every time I put fuel in the car because I wanted to reward because I hate putting petrol in the car. <laughs> so do you know for like 15 what, you years... you just couldn't breathe in the fumes? You had to have the... Oh, no, I love the smell of petrol. <laughs> I do love the smell of petrol. But I hated the act of putting petrol in, so I'd go and get myself a peppermint crisp for 15 years. Peppermint crisp, three, time, three times a week. Wow. I know, I know, until finally I realised what I was doing. Anyway, so, if, if you know, so... If, Food can be for any any purpose, but what happens is there's there's a trigger, something happens, and then the neurological networks come together. That interwoven web comes together, and it's a specifically designed interwoven web that is only used for that particular emotional response. So what comes together is uh, the, the, the web comes together of neurons that says, okay, so this is what fear feels like, or this is what reward feels like. We're, we're ready for a reward. Let's bring these neurological networks together. And then they start to release the um, the endorphins, the, the the neurotransmitters, and they pass through the synaptic gap from one side of the neurons through the synaptic gap, which is really nothing. It's just space. 
Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys just heard that. That's, <laughs> we've we've got my we've got my little man, my fuzzy little man Jed. We've got him here with us <laughs> because he's had a little operation. So he's just had a little howl. <laughs> Didn't me? Yeah, now we're seeing it looking awfully cute. Bless his little heart. <laughs> anyway, so cutting a long story short, um, there's a there's there's, there's based on certain emotions, certain neurological uh, networks come together. Now, we can interrupt the pattern by changing the way that the neurological um, uh, networks fire. So we can interrupt the pattern. And the way to interrupt the pattern is to replace the habit with something else, like you said, Cindy. So instead of reaching for a chocolate bar... You know you're going to be reaching for some kind of food. You you, you know it as an addict and, if, and food's your, your drug of choice. You're going to be reaching for some kind of food because you're looking for a comfort response to the emotion. So instead of reaching for a chocolate bar, just don't have the chocolate bar in the house. Reach for something different. So reach for... Um, Reach for something that's going to give you more comfort. So it could be one of Kim's oils or it could be reaching for uh you know something else that you're excited about so for me i reach for knowledge now so i reach for education because i'm an avid researcher and i always want to be learning something new so instead of me going and reaching for chocolate i'll reach for my kindle or i'll jump onto the internet and i'll google something on psychology or you know the super brain or whatever so i'll reach for something else that gives me this same sort of fix but the pattern is interrupted for the chocolate bar And the more we do that, we create another neurological set of networks that serves us better than the neurological networks that that don't serve us. So it's a case of finding something else that really, really flicks our switch. And, you know, it could be, and for a food addict, you know, for me, I'm just going to use myself as a classic example. For me, going out for a walk or having a big glass of water, not going to do it. It's just not going to get me there. (laughs) It's not. So for me, I have to reach for something that gives me that same sense of comfort. And it's knowledge for me or it's learning. Or it's sitting with my dogs and snuggling with their fluff on my face. That gives me unbelievable comfort. Um, So... Or, or, or now it's 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 reaching for um, what else do I have for a snack? So now it's reaching for um, oh a beautiful chia seed cracker that I've made with a piece of um, you know ricotta cheese or something like that or cottage cheese on it or something. So it's reaching for something that is going to serve me. It's a case of replacing one for the next. But then also what I would say for those people who are uh, addicted to food. And their driver is an emotional response. We've got to fix the emotion. Mm-hmm. We can try and work on the addiction, but the addiction is simply the symptom. We've got to fix the emotion. So we've got to work on what emotion actually triggered that desire for the addiction. And a way that I've learned to do it of late, especially um, because I've been doing a lot of research around emotional eating, and a way that I've learned to do it of late is to notice that I am not the emotion. I know this is going to sound a little bit out there, and we're going to go down the rabbit hole just for a couple of seconds. Oh, surprise. <laughs> unusual. Unusual. Very unusual. Yes, yes, yes. We have a body, but we are not the body. We are more than that, and we know that. If we look at our body and we cut us open, we're not in there. So we do have a body, and we use the body, but we are not the body. We have a brain, and we use the brain, but we are not the brain. 
I have a hand and I use the hand, but I'm more than the hand. So when we look at ourselves in that context, I have an appetite, but I'm not the appetite. I'm more than that. I have an emotion, but I'm not the emotion. I'm more than that. So when we look at that, we can kind of create a bit of a disassociation from ourselves and the emotion and become an observer where I can say, I have an emotion present. There is an emotion present. And that emotion that's on the scene right now is fear. Or that emotion that's on the scene right now is boredom. And boredom's a big one for me. Or the emotion that's on the scene right now is uh, joy. Or the emotion that's on the scene right now is is reward. I want reward. I want, I want to feel grat- uh, gratification. I want gratification. So when we can distance ourselves from the emotion then we can act logically because when emotion is high, intelligence is low. And as an emotional eater, when that emotion becomes present, we stop thinking. All thinking leaves with the room. So reaching for a chocolate bar or reaching for our normal comfort food or our reward food, it's not even a conscious thought. You just do it. So the idea is to be able to recognize that the emotion is present and then in the same moment that we recognize the emotion is present, disassociate ourselves from it, recognizing that I have an emotion, but I am not the emotion. And I don't want to resist it. I don't want to say, oh, I don't want to feel boredom or I don't want to feel fear. Or We definitely don't want to resist it because what we resist persists. What we want to do is recognize that it's there. And then recognize that we are more than the emotion and become associated with our observation of the emotion rather than associating with the emotion and and making that who we are. I hope this, does that make sense to you guys? It makes heaps of sense, but I have a question. Mm. How, you know, like when you're in that emotion, Mm. it's really hard. Mm. As you said, the intelligence is low. It's actually very hard to do what you just said then, you know, like all right, I have the emotion, um, recognize the emotion is not me, you know, that stimulus and response, Where? what do we do in that gap? How do we create well, that gap? That's often I've just had the chocolate bar by the time I've realized Correct. <laughs> Correct. So hindsight, 2020 vision, always a good thing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, okay, so two, two questions there or two parts of that question in answer to yours, Cindy, is that that in and of itself, the emotion is also an addiction. Because we're addicted to the payoff that that emotion gives us. And this is what I was alluding to earlier. We're addicted to the payoff that that emotion gives us. So if I am angry, I'm getting a payoff out of it. Make no mistake. I'm getting a payoff that the world is wrong and I'm right. If I am irritated, I'm getting a payoff. If I'm, if I'm bored, I'm getting a payoff because I get to procrastinate. Therefore, um, I'm bored. It's not interesting to me and I don't have to be responsible for the outcome. You know, And I'm just plucking these payoffs out of the air but there is always a payoff to our emotions there always is and the payoff never serves us it never serves us great emotions happy emotions are fine but i'm talking about negative emotions that don't serve us so if i'm joyful and i'm excited that's a really good thing that's an amazing thing but if i then go and reward myself with food then it doesn't serve me Mm. so then it becomes a negative response So what we're talking about is the negative responses and the negative emotions that don't serve us. There is always a payoff to it. And it's that part that we're addicted to. And we go in search of that fix. And then we compound our fix with food. So um, what we've got to look at is, what we've really got to look at is we've got to interrupt the pattern. And it is hard. 
there's no it's, there's just no mistake about it it's definitely hard mm. but when we recognize that we are not the emotion we are more than that so when we're right in the middle of it all by the time we get to being in the middle of the emotion it's already too late we've got to catch the emotion the minute it raises itself so let's say boredom you know i'm going to use boredom so let's say the minute i start to feel bored i've got to catch it at its first glimpse i've got to catch it at its first inclination inside of my body and i've got to recognize it and i've got to be willing to become present to it that's where my hard work has got to go rather than my hard work going into the diet my hard work's got to go into becoming present to what emotion is there and catching it right at the very beginning. That's the hard work. So it's like what you've always said, you know, put a concrete wall on one side of you and a concrete wall on the other mm. and basically be in the now, be in the present at that Absolutely. moment. Because we're probably not in the present. We're probably thinking about other things. Well, when we're bored, we get the sensation and bored is not a thought. Anger is not a thought. Emotion is not a thought because if it was, it would come from a different place in the brain. Mm. Emotion and anger is an expression. It's a feeling that comes from, well, it comes from a completely different part of the brain, which in actual fact gets diminished. And then this is a whole other conversation, but excuse me, emotions come from a different part of the brain. So when emotion is high, intelligence is low. When we are emotional, we cannot think clearly because they come from two different parts of the brain. So we've got to catch the emotion before it is at its heightened. We've got to catch it as it's building to its height. We've got to catch it because at that point we can still think clearly. That's where the effort comes in. That's where the hard work comes in is being willing to say, this is what I'm committed to do today. Today I will catch my emotions before they reach their peak. Today I will catch them and I will analyze them, and I will recognize that I am more than my emotions. And instead of me reaching for chocolate and bread, I'm going to catch myself and recognize that I'm more than my emotions. And if I'm still going to reach for food, I'm going to reach for something that's good for me. But if I'm, if, if I'm making my decision not to reach for food, I'm going to replace it with something. So set myself up with that replacement early. Have the oil next to my computer the whole time, so that then when I recognize boredom's coming up, I... You don't sniff that oil back like a, <laughs> like a demon and I get up and I get out of my office and I set myself up with that behavioural, with that pattern interrupt early so that then I'm allowing myself to be intelligent while the emotion is finding itself. So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, this is what we should be teaching our kids seriously we just they, our kids don't know this mm. you know they're brought up in a society that is instant it, fix it, it is it, it's not an yeah it's instant fix but we're built out of a society where maths and science and and i know this is a bit of science but where maths and science and knowing a noun from a verb is more important than understanding what what we've just talked about well it's understanding how to live Cindy, and I think this is the thing that I'm getting for myself so profoundly, and I'm only just beginning. I'm only just starting on it. But it's learning how to live because our emotions are so um, overwhelming, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. It's overwhelming for us as humans, and we think that that's what makes us who we are, and then we, we relate to life from that place. We relate to other people. We relate to our food our job, our money. We relate to every aspect of life thinking that that's actually who we are mm. when it's not. It's a 
part of us, but we're so much more. But when emotions are high, intelligence is low, so we can't even think clearly. We can't even think our way through things. And it's true, you're right, our kids don't learn that. Therefore, they become their emotions. And then where from there? Yeah. Really, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's random from there, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's really just random. And then they get to our age and they go, holy Jesus, <laughs> you know, like, what are we thinking? Where have we been? Because it's probably at this stage in life where, I don't know, is it that we have less things to be emotional about? Because at this stage in our lives, things are a little bit more calm. So we've got the brain space to analyze. We've got the brain space to research. We've got the brain space to consider. There's I don't a, know. But there is a lot of women... Our, my age, um, your age. <laughs> I didn't want to say our age. Our age. Our age okay, so let's age. just get a distinction. There is our age and then there is Susan's age. Oh. But even both of our ages then, all, right, all of our ages, mm. that haven't got it together on their emotions, that totally. are an absolute mess. Totally. And I, and I feel that... <laughs> In fact, many at this stage are having what they determine as a midlife crisis. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, just as we're, com- we're coming to the end, uh, I want to ask you both, when you think of someone that's eating well, living a vibrant life, looking healthy and as amazing as they could be, what would you say are the key things that you recognise in them that is something that we can share with our listeners that we look up to when we see people that eat well and, and do the right things? What do you think, what's, what's your advice, your closing advice to everybody on this podcast and what do you think are winning combinations or attributes or qualities that have these people that we look up to? What do you think it is? Okay, when I'm... Okay, can I go first? Is that all right, Karen? Yeah, it's fine. Go for it. Okay, so number one, I think it's education. I think they're out there, they're seekers of the truth. They're out there not just listening to the propaganda, but they really, they read lots, they listen to... Now we can listen to podcasts and, and, and they're not in mainstream media, which is where most people are in mainstream media. And remember, a statistic is, is that everybody's doing the same thing and getting the same result. Mm. So when I see someone who's really different, I know they're not in mainstream media. They're actually looking elsewhere for their information. So number one, education. Can I interrupt you? Yes. So we've got to make a real distinction here about that because I could look at someone like a body sculptor and think that they are absolutely the epitome of health and well-being. They look beautiful or a model. They look unbelievably toned and fit and healthy, yet they may not be living what we're talking about. So maybe the distinction around that is what we see. But I think the other thing we've also got to be clear on is that addiction is addiction. And whether it's food or whether it's exercise, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's rock and roll, you know, addiction is addiction. And even though somebody may look fantastic, they could also be very well juggling an addiction. So that's what I want our listeners to get, is that not everybody that we think looking at them has got it together either. It's totally true. It's totally true. So that's why I love your point, because I think education is really important, but what is your truth for education? Because a body sculptor or a model, their thought of education is around which drugs they can take, which protein powders they can take in order to look a certain way. So I think where we are coming from and where we three always speak from so that people know is a place of true holistic health. So I just wanted to make that distinction because when I see someone that I think is unbelievably fit and healthy, often there's a lot of stuff in behind it that may not be something that I'd like to follow. Hi, I'm Karen, and I haven't had chocolate for 20 minutes. (laughs) 
because a person can look like they've got it all together and I'm a classic example of it a person can look like they've got it all together when I stand on stage I look like I've got it all together and to the most part from a mindset perspective I do but having said that you know what appears on the outside and what's going on in the inside can be two very different ball games but what I actually think is that a person's always a work in progress as humans we're always a work in progress and I think that if we can if we can recognize that about ourselves, then it's always up. Mm-hmm. It's never down. It's always on the way up. We're always on the way of recovering from this or healing from that or working at this or getting clear on something else or getting more information. And I think that with what you know, we certainly talk about on the podcast and Cindy, all the work that you girls do and Kim, I think what we provide for people is stepping stones. We give them a stepping stone from one leap to the next. Now you've got this piece. You want more information on addiction because you see yourself in it. Now go educate yourself on addiction. Get information on food and emotional eating. Now go educate yourself more on that. You know, the next podcast we might do might be on sleep. So if somebody sees themselves in the sleep podcast, go educate yourself on sleep. I think it's about finding and researching and educating yourself on the stepping stones to make sure that you get complete and I think so that your work in progress is always working and I think what we're about is is what we share is what we've learned isn't it and we're, totally. we're a total work in progress all oh, the time all the time <laughs> I guess it's been 25 minutes now <laughs> but you know what when we do fall down this is I think this is it when we do fall down we dust ourselves off yeah we pick ourselves up and we keep going absolutely and we but we all fall down you know like we all have our little Achilles heels and you know I had mine like yesterday and I, 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 as you were talking, Karen, I'm like going, I fell down there. You know, where, how can I stop that? You know? Where did you fall down? Yeah. Yeah. Hell. I'm not going to say it now because it'll, it's another probably podcast. Okay, right. Yeah, it's probably another podcast. And to most people, it was probably really minor. But to me, I was really um, cross with myself. But then I dusted myself up. I picked myself up and I said, right, how can I do that better next time? Well, you're That's right. the key. Yeah. You did, right, because last night, because I had that extra cake and ice cream <laughs> and everything, no, I'm serious. I woke up this morning and I so have to go for a run. And you know what? I'm going to do the best run I can do this morning and you did. as a payoff. Yeah. So for me, it is that, okay, you can fall off, but what are you going to do to make up for it? To say, sorry, body, I love you, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to pummel you now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was more of a, actually, you know what? You're dead right. So so just before, so you said education was the first thing. What was another thing um, that you thought? Well, I didn't organise. I think you have to be organized Mm. because if you're not organized with all of this um, and you have your little oil beside you or um, you have that gap, what's your gap? What do you do in that gap between the stimulus and response? And that was me. I did a stimulus and response and there was no gap. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. Right. (laughs) Kim's probably thinking. She just went straight to the heart of the emotion. And it was only, you know, it was only just a small thing, but it was like, you know, that stimulus and response, I, I have, that, I don't have that gap. I don't have that gap. Well, well, the, well you do, well, you do, you do have it uh-huh. and you do, everybody does because we don't go from zero to heightened emotion instantly. It yeah. does actually take a little bit of time. It can happen really quick, but you've got to put your effort into interrupting the pattern. Yeah. That's where that's got to go. And I guess that's the other thing is interrupting the pattern, you know. Mm. And I and when I'm looking at somebody that I think's got it all together, they're happy. 
Mm. They're content with their life. They might make mistakes and they may not have everything together, but for the most part, they are are contented human beings Mm. that philosophically look at the world so very differently to many people. And that's what I look for is I want to hear, like I love listening to you guys, you know, Kim, on your relationships and your your exercise that you go pummel your body and, you know, and things like that. You know, I I love listening to what you say and the same with you, Karen. I I love listening to how you think differently Mm. about your specialities. Mm. And And that's what I'm looking for is people that think differently about things, that are content with their lives, um, that have happiness about them and that you can see it in their face and their physical body and everything. So I guess that's where... You said that once before in a podcast. You're looking, you know, a person's got to have a philosophy. Mm. And I think that was so beautiful because we're always going to have situations in our life where things don't go quite to plan. But if you're still true to your philosophy, then it it doesn't really matter. And, you know, the other thing, nothing is for nothing. There are no mistakes, not even addictions. There are no mistakes. Mm -hmm. But if we can use our addictions as an opportunity to become more rather than to become less, then our addiction has served its purpose. You know, and I think that that's, that's really what it's about. It's about falling down and using it as an opportunity to become more because of it. Because if falling down was never a mistake. It was purposeful and it was necessary. And I think that's the kindness that I intend to show myself with, you know, all the transitions and changes that I go through regularly. Oh, God, I'm such an experiment, aren't I? So, <laughs> aren't work in all? progress. We're all works in work progress. in progress. But I think, that's, I think that's the thing. That's the key. So hopefully you guys have all enjoyed this podcast and this basic chat about addictions and what it means to all of us. We're really, really keen to hear your view on addiction and whether you've had any food addictions yourself. So jump onto our Facebook page at all the W's dot Facebook dot com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments there. We're getting lots of new likes on our page. Yeah. So join us on there and come and join in the chat. Also, you can join us on the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments there. So join us here next week on Up For A Chat and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Hi, Brett Hill from That Paleo Show and The Wellness Guys here. Well, the Facebook buzz after the Wellness Summit has just been unbelievable. Deborah said the summit was inspiring and empowering. Jen Fellows said she learnt so much amazing information that she thought her brain was going to explode. Well, hold on to your hat because if you miss the summit, guess what? We recorded the entire lot so that you can have the summit in your living room forever. So to order the Wellness Summit 10 DVD home study program for just 197 bucks, simply go to www.thewellnesscouch.com and click on shop. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.